Welcome to Living Better London with me, Natalie Small. This podcast will be your weekly guide to help you navigate the stress of busy city life while taking small steps towards nurturing the mind, body and soul. So this is episode number one. And in this episode, I'll be detailing how Living Better London actually began and how Living Better London can affect your day-to-day life just as it has mine. So let's start. So to begin this episode, I thought I'd talk a little bit about how Living Better London actually began. Um, I've lived in London three times over the space of eight years. And for me, it was a very unfamiliar environment to be in. I grew up in a village in the middle of Hertfordshire um, and I was used to green spaces and slow pace. And obviously London lacks quite a lot of that. And yeah, so I lived in different areas throughout London. Um, I spent a year in West London working as a tree surgeon. Uh, Don't ask. (laughs) Um, I moved to South for a little while and I was in North London. In between all of these times, I'd actually moved back home because I think I get to a point where I get a bit too wrapped up in the environment around me and it's just not my natural habitat. So every time I lived in a different area, I'd last six months to a year and then I'd just end up moving back to Hertfordshire. And I found myself happy to balance the 90 minute journey in and out of London, just so that I could wake up in the mornings to fields and sheep and you know nature. And I could spend my days off going on walks in the countryside rather than sitting around in, you know, one of my pokey flats, not really feeling like there was anywhere I could go in London that felt really like home to me. Um, So in 2018, my boyfriend and I actually decided to move in together and I gave London another chance. And this time we moved to Holloway. Now Holloway's great for me because it's easy to get to where I work in Knightsbridge. Um, It's convenient in terms of price point, I would say. We do find that we compromise in the lifestyle that we want to live. So Nigel was living in Islington um, for a while, but more towards Highbury. So a totally different pace and Actually, when we first arrived on the street outside the flat that we now live in, we turned to each other and were very, very close to cancelling our viewing because all of a sudden there's sirens going past us and, you know, the smell of fried food and our front door out on the street with the number scratched into the metal and it was just a bit overwhelming. And just as we went to leave, I got the phone call from the estate agent who was inside uh, and I think at that point I felt too guilty to cancel um, so we walked upstairs and we entered the flat and you know what it is an oasis as soon as you're in here you don't really feel like you're anywhere near London and the living space backs onto a private road sorry not a private road a quiet road so for us it felt like you know what we can make this work And if anything, I think because of the environment outside on the street, the flat became more appealing because it was just so calm. 
which we weren't expecting. What we also weren't expecting is the road noise. So although our living and kitchen area moves, sorry, is uh, facing the quiet street behind us, the bedroom actually uh, leads exactly onto the busy road outside. Now this is a main route. So this road is a route that will get you from Camden right the way through to Wood Green. So in terms of emergency service vehicles, it's, well, you could count one every five minutes, I would say, which is also a very, very um, sad sign, I think. But in terms of noise levels, at night time, it's almost impossible for me to get off to sleep. And Nigel seems to cope very well with that, but I definitely didn't uh, when we first moved here. So that ended up with me being very, very sleep deprived. Um, obviously, my job doesn't allow me to work from home on the odd occasion or uh, have a lie-in when I feel is necessary. I work rotors and I work shifts uh, with my role in corporate retail. So I found myself using coffee as my incentive to wake up in the mornings. So the first thing that would go through my head would be, you know what, if you can just get out of bed now, go into the kitchen, make yourself a coffee, and then when you get to work, you can have another one. And then halfway through the day, it would be, if you can make it to lunchtime, you can have another one. And if you can make it to the afternoon, you can have another. And it snowballed to the point of me developing actually quite a serious caffeine addiction. And I would peak at maybe five black Americanos a day. And I distinctly remember a point where I left work to walk to the train station one day, which is actually just outside where I am. And my fit, uh, fitness band gave me a warning saying that my heart rate was far too high. And that for me was quite scary. And it feels very strange to say that now because I can't believe that I allowed the situation to get to that point. But that's how heavily I was relying on coffee to fuel me because the sleep deprivation, it was that bad. It was, I would average maybe three or four hours a night. Um, and it was just impossible for me to work without fueling myself with coffee, or that's what I thought anyway. So then what I found myself doing next was again, another bad habit developing. I'd get home and I would think, if I have a glass of wine, I'll, Tonight will be the night that I fall asleep. You know, that'll be my sleep aid. Obviously that didn't happen. And if anything, I feel like the situation got a bit worse because I mean, there is research out there that suggests that alcohol affects um, how long you remain in a deep sleep stage, which is obviously very important in terms of rest and resetting. So what happened next was I became to my local Starbucks uh, the brownie from the fridge girl, because my next step in trying to energise myself um, to go to work and be effective at my job was to increase my sugar levels. And I think that there is something about sleep dep uh, deprivation and how you crave foods the next day. So I found myself getting to a point where I was eating quite a lot of sugar and 
trying to maybe compensate by removing a meal, which again, I'm not proud to say, but you know, I was conscious. I wanted to remain looking the same. Um, I was very concerned about my aesthetic, I guess. So yeah, I would probably skip a lunch break and eat the brownie instead and it would give me that lift. But then again, of course, I'm going to crash back down. Um, this all sort of got to a point in summer where my body was rebelling. So in May time, I developed a really serious tooth infection. Um, all of these conditions, by the way, are linked with stress. But I think for me as well, it was a, um, it was a case of bad nutrition, lack of sleep, stress. It was the whole picture, really. So I got the tooth infection. It was quite a bad one. Had to take some time out of work. Definitely wasn't as productive as I could have been. Um, after that, I had had one very um, boozy weekend that I suppose I used as a bit of a de-stress method um, while meeting up with a friend. And from that and the poor diet, I developed gastritis. If anyone out there has ever experienced gastritis, they can totally understand when I say that the pain was an eight, you know, like that. <laughs> if I could rate the pain, it was an eight. I was in hospital. I genuinely believed that something was really, really, really wrong with me. But I couldn't see at that point that it had anything to do with the life that I was living to try and combat my um, lack of sleep and my stress levels and trying to manage my entire life. So that happened and I feel like I, I recovered from it. But then I was straight into the next one. <laughs> and this is the worst one. So in, I think it was about July time. So I think it was, May was the tooth infection. June was the gastritis. And July was the most horrific eye infection that I've ever had in my life. I lost two kilos in the space of a week and I had symptoms of this condition spreading to my blood. So again, I was aware of all of these things um, potentially being linked to stress, but I wasn't really acknowledging the fact that that was what was happening to me. And I think in a way, it wasn't just about me not being able to rest at night. I think what I find is when I leave my front door and I go to work, it's go, you know, there's loud noises around me, the, the pace, even the walking pace of everyone around you is faster. You're crammed into the tube, you can't breathe and then you're straight into work. And I guess I never really felt the stress levels quite so much when I was living in Hertfordshire because I had that journey, you know, every morning I had a 90 minute to sort of set myself for the day and gradually bring myself into this world. And then the same on the way back home, I could sit down, I could read a book, I could relax, I could maybe plan my social life or whatever, but I still feel like when I lived outside of London, I had more balance. Now, we're probably getting up to about autumn winter time now for last year. And as I've mentioned, I work in a corporate retail role and this is in central London. So after I got over the eye infection and everything, I feel like I then rolled into the next very um, challenging and stressful situation, which is London 
retail at Christmas. You know, I felt like I didn't even have the time or the inclination to make any kind of uh, improvements in the situation that I was in because my life was just so busy. Um, yeah, so then the story turns. This is where we get to a point where you're probably thinking, oh God, this is so depressing. <laughs> this is where we get to the point where it picks up. And this is what I'm really excited about. So in January, my partner decided to challenge himself to a 90 day no drinking program. Now that to me sounded really interesting and I wanted to support him in it because I never really felt like I had an issue with alcohol, but I definitely liked the idea of the challenge. I definitely liked the idea of supporting him and I thought it would be so easy because, like I said, alcohol had never been an issue for me. So it was more about the camaraderie, I think. And the interesting thing that happened was that I started to see a very small improvement in the way I was sleeping at night. And I suppose giving up alcohol for a little while became, and actually I have to say up until this point, I'm still not drinking. So woo, that's amazing. Um, but yeah, giving up alcohol gave me the lift, I think, more than anything. It, it upped my self-esteem levels because I'd been in such a, um, I think almost in a position of not really recognising myself and, and not really respecting myself because I wasn't making any changes to my day-to-day. -day. So the alcohol gave me that win, that alcohol made me feel like I'd accomplished something. Um, and then I just wanted to attack my issues you know I all of a sudden started to feel inspired for the first time and I guess probably it was timing as well because you know I just come out of Christmas and work had maybe dipped in terms of uh, pace so that helped definitely but yeah so quitting the alcohol led me on to this path where I was like right um what's next on the list <laughs> you know and for me I think it became coffee so I knew that I'd had a or was still having quite an unhealthy relationship with caffeine. And I'd already noticed a slight benefit in sleep, like I said, by giving up the alcohol. So I thought, right, if I can take off one of those coffees a day, then that's going to help my sleep, isn't it? It must do. So I did. And again, I saw an improvement. And again, I'm feeling so much better about myself. My self-esteem is picking up. So that then ended up snowballing into, well... I can improve something else then. What else have I neglected over the past year? And that for me was exercise. Prior to living in Holloway, I was running half marathons once a week. I was very into fitness and I was aware of the fact that working out was my way of managing my anxieties and my stress levels. So it felt like a natural decision to move into exercise. But this is something, what happened next that I never really thought would affect me and I'd never fallen foul of before. And it was quite a strange one because basically what happened, I couldn't bring up the motivation to work out and I didn't know why. Until one day I sat down with a friend and we were talking about social media and she was telling me about this woman who... Um, I think she's, I don't think she's a fitness instructor. I think she's a fitness model, 
she's very lean she's very powerful she's the I guess common picture of what we perceive health or fitness to be but isn't necessarily true now my friend who I'm not going to name <laughs> uh, had decided to buy a package from this woman who basically guaranteed you her backside if you were to follow these steps it's a generalized fitness regime that was set up to apply to anybody and I thought this is wrong and then I realized what was preventing me from making steps towards improving my fitness and it was social media over the year that I'd been stressed at work and going through all these illnesses I'd been coming home every day and I'd been feeding myself with social media I'd been managing my stress levels by browsing the internet um, and I know a lot of us do it because it does feel a bit like a mindless task, you know. But what I'd been doing is feeding myself information that was creating a a damaging picture in my mind of who I was supposed to be. I feel like I brainwashed myself. I think that there was a lot of exposure on social media to women and what they should look like and I'm sure it happens to men as well I'm, I'm not gonna claim that this is a female only issue but I'm so glad that I recognized it because it made me go no no I rebel against that I've never been that person that has aspired to live somebody else's life and I won't do that now I was aware that I was at a point where I wouldn't be able to just snap exactly back into the fitness levels that I'd had prior to um, moving to Holloway, but I knew I could make an impact. So I started really small. I started out by every day off that I had, going on a walk in my area. Now, as I said to you, my area isn't somewhere that I feel particularly at home. So I shifted my focus and I actually changed my own reality. So instead of spending my time obviously walking around Holloway, I would research and seek out areas that felt a bit more like home. And that would be my goal. So I would walk to those places and I would enjoy them and take photos and stop for lunch and really have a pleasing experience. And I feel as well like I kind of gave a bit of balance back to myself by stepping away from that fast pace. And then I realized that I could actually fit the exercise around my day to day as well. Now, as I've said previously in this episode, I'd been using the fact that I had a very stressful job as a reason to not change whatever was bothering me. And it was almost like an excuse. So I decided to not allow myself to use that as an excuse anymore and I started skipping out train stations on my way into work and I did it religiously every day and I started to see a difference again in my positivity and my energy levels I felt more vibrant I felt happier and I actually felt more productive at work as well and again with every lift I became stronger and next up I thought right I know there's links between diet and mental health. So 
I've worked on the coffee, I've worked on the alcohol, I've worked on the fitness, I'm feeling better, I'm feeling stronger. What else can I improve? And that obviously became diet. And I was getting to a point now where I was juggling a few different um, tasks and I still had this busy life. So I had to find a way to make improving my diet fit in around my lifestyle. I still wanted to have friends. I still wanted to be able to um, switch off occasionally. I didn't want to constantly be on this path of self-improvement. So I devised some, I mean, I've always been interested in cooking. Um, So I devised some batch cook recipes and I thought this is perfect. So once a week I come home, I turn the lights down in the kitchen. I've got all my food ready to go and I prep for maybe two hours and that's my working week. That, that is all of my meal prep done for the rest of the working week. So uh, let's say it's Monday to Friday and I had a weekend off. Monday to Friday's lunches and dinners are sorted. So less pressure on me and I'm achieving my tasks. So I was then at a point where I was feeling happier and it was becoming very noticeable around me. And where I was feeling so much happier and I was taking myself off on these little day trips and things like that, I started to get to know the area around me a little bit more. And I guess I realised that I had to shift my perspective because I was only looking at Holloway um, from one angle, if that makes sense. I was seeing the things that I didn't want to see. But with all the cooking and the meal prep and the exploration and exercise, I started to discover these little nooks and crannies that felt a little bit more like home. And what I found is that those nooks and crannies were provided to me via small independent businesses. You know, if I was batch cooking, I would be buying my vegetables at the local greengrocer and I was having, you know, friendly conversations. And I realised something. It wasn't just the quiet and the calm that I was missing from my home. I think I was missing human connections, genuine human connections. Because if I were to shop when I first moved here, I would would go to the local supermarket, you know, and it would be a very transactional experience. I'd buy what I needed. I'd get to a pay point at self-service, pay and leave. As I was doing these little explorations uh, around Crouch End, for example, um, even on the road right in front of my eyes, I was finding these little independent shops that I guess I felt a little bit more confident to visit. And that's going to sound really strange, but anyone who has has anxiety might understand that. I know that I'd allowed myself over 2018 to get to a phase of, yes, self-neglect. But I wouldn't say it was on a scale that was noticeable to other people. But because of my anxiety, I felt like I couldn't talk to people. I felt like I didn't want to go into a store and have a conversation with an individual working there because I felt like they would see what had happened, which is irrational, I know. It doesn't make any sense. These people didn't know me at all. Um, and we don't tend to do that, you know, we don't tend to look at other people in that way. I think 
individuals are our biggest critics. So yeah, like I said, I found all these little places in the area and I started to get excited about where I was living. And I noticed I was getting this great customer service from the people in these local shops. And I decided that that was another thing I was going to do. I was going to step away from allowing my um, my shopping and my personal life to become transactional because I feel like I was giving myself a little bit more accountability but also improving my social engagements which again was increasing my mental health. Now that took us to a point where friends were starting to comment on the changes in me. I was more energetic. I was more likely to say yes to a social engagement. I was happier. And that's when I told them what I'd been doing. And at this point, I'd actually got to a stage of categorizing each improvement that I'd made in my life and creating something that I called the basic principles. So this was a Bible that I was living by now. I knew how to structure the exercise around my work. I knew how to factor in food. I was taking more time for myself as well and doing the things that I actually enjoyed. And I was also improving the lives of other people inadvertently. So when I was avoiding shopping at a chain and going in and having human experiences in these independent local shops, I was contributing to the economy of that individual that might own that shop or I was having a social engagement that that person might not have had so I felt like I was giving and receiving at the same time so yeah I told friends about the basic principles and a few of them tried it now the beauty of these basic principles is that you factor them into your life your day-to-day so your day-to-day is never going to be the same as mine but the steps are digestible changes. And the friends that took them on were coming back to me and saying, you know what, this works. And I had friends who were on a weight loss mission and they were having a plateau and they couldn't figure out why. And they adopted these principles and their weight loss plateau changed. They started to reach their goals again. And they started that mission of, right, what can I improve next? And the basic principles just started growing and growing and growing and more people started adopting them. And it was actually a friend at work who said to me, you need to start a social media campaign or you need to have a YouTube or a Facebook and share these with other people. And at that point, I think I was still suffering a little bit with the after effects of last year. And I was a bit shy. I didn't feel confident in um, putting my face in front of a camera and telling the, the world. But I did it. And I did it because I hadn't felt confident about cutting out coffee. I hadn't felt confident about exercising again. But when I did them, and when I made that first step to challenging myself, I became hungry for more challenges. So then Living Better London began, you know, that's when the Instagram account happened. That's when the um, blog started. And I thought to myself, I have to make this um, structured in a way that people understand. 
So the blog posts are still continuing. Um, I'm doing a lot involving recipes because I think it's very easy to say to somebody, yeah, you should batch cook, you should meal prep and that will improve your life. But without the support and the guide and the experience of somebody that might implement that on their day to day, it can sometimes feel a bit, feel a bit overwhelming. So I'm at a point now where I feel like I've made a lot of the improvements that I wanted to make to myself. But now there's more, you know, I don't want to rest on my laurels and say, well, that's me done. So the basic principles are there to improve the lives of others, but I'm layering upon them now as well. So for me personally, I'm on a mission to improve my uh, sustainability, you know, improve the ethics of my lifestyle because I'm on a roll. I mean, if I'm on a mission of self-improvement, I'm not going to stop, am I? (laughs) Not at this point when I've been doing so well. Um, So yeah, a lot of the episodes that you'll see coming up in these podcasts will not just be tailored to how to improve your life on an individual level. So in the coming weeks and months, I'll be doing interviews with independent brands who I feel have an offering that will either support and guide you in your process of self-improvement. If they have a message that I feel aligns with my principles and my goal and my path towards improving my, I suppose, carbon footprint more than anything, then we'll be doing features on um, brands and individuals such as this. I'm also going to be inviting friends on the show and I'm going to be inviting friends on to talk about how they live better in London. So these will be some really inspirational people, creatives, artists, fitness instructors, people who have taken this city and made it work around them. And yeah, so last but not least, we'll be featuring experts in balancing the mind, body and soul through various different techniques because what we might find is that there are things that work really really well in my lifestyle um, to improve mindfulness to improve fitness to improve my happiness levels my um, balance my diet but that's never going to be a universal thing you know we're all very independent another reason I'm going to use this podcast is to keep me on my journey Because if I'm talking to you guys, if I'm sharing these movements and this program with you, then I don't have the ability to give up, you know? So for that, I want to thank you too for listening. Because if it wasn't for the support of the people around me, if it wasn't for the Instagram account, if it wasn't for my friends and my family, who knows? I might have found myself snowballing back down into where I was before. Now, I'm not suggesting either that my life currently is perfect and I have no issues. I'm not suggesting that these basic principles are going to completely change your life or mine. But what I am saying is that I'm providing balance now to myself and you'll find a way that you can adopt these principles that will give balance to you. And I think that by implementing them, I've also um, allowed myself to learn techniques to deal with problems. So it's not about 
the fact that everything else around me is still spinning. It's that I've stopped, if that makes sense. And there are occasions where, <laughs> despite my best efforts, um, these principles are not going to save me. So I'm sure on the odd occasion, you will have me in your ear having a bit of a rant about something. <laughs> um, so yeah, so look forward to that. So now we've finished this episode. If you would like to discover more about Living Better London or the basic principles, then please visit my website at www.livingbetterlondon.com or alternatively, you can find us on Instagram or Facebook. So if you do decide to adopt any of the basic principles of Living Better London, I would love to be able to see your progress. So if you can post your content on social media using the hashtag livingbetterlondon, I can find you guys and give you a little bit of love.